Today we're going to look at just one verse of scripture after that that lengthy reading, the whole chapter of chapter 13 of Matthew's Gospel. We're, We're going to look at one verse, verse 44 of Matthew 13, which is about treasure that is hidden in a field. Also, it is the fifth of seven kingdom parables in chapter 13. So, let's think about this for a second. We're looking at a one-verse parable. But, it is one of seven parables. The whole of chapter 13 consists of parables about the kingdom of heaven. Would you say it would be highly reckless to parachute in on that one verse, verse 44, with complete disregard for everything that precedes it and goes after it? It would be rather silly, wouldn't it? We're supposed to look at a text in context and we really need to look at this one verse of scripture in the context of the whole of chapter 13. Very, very important to do that. So what I intend to do first is to go over the parables that we've already looked at before today's parable Also, we can have a sneaky preview at the last of the parables in chapter 13. We haven't been there yet, but we're going to have a quick look there anyway in order to gain an understanding of the parable that we're looking at today, the parable of the hidden treasure, that one verse parable, verse 44. It's a treasure hidden in a field and we need to come up with an understanding that is consistent with what goes before and what goes after. If you want to draw a smooth line, uh, I've got my maths head on here, if you're you're looking at a uh, a line, you don't want this parable to be out of place. We need the line of best fit here. We need something today which is agreeable with what proceeds and what goes after it and and obviously makes sense to the, 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 the verse that we're looking at today. If we, don't, if we don't look at what goes before and what goes after, we're going to come up with all sorts of funny things, which the commentators have done, I would have to tell you. First of all, the first parable, you may recall, is about seed that is sown into four different types of ground. And only one type of ground is fertile and goes on to produce an abundant harvest. The explanation given by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he gave it to his disciples, not to the whole multitude, just to his disciples, is that the seed is the word of the kingdom and the ground represents different types of hearts. Different grounds representing different heart conditions. The word of God is proclaimed in a very general way to all men all over the world but only those whom God has given ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to understand, hearts that have been opened by God himself to attend to the things that are spoken and to receive that that seed, the word of God. Only that one particular ground will produce a harvest 
of, 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 of salvation. Fruit of salvation. And that represents the elect of God whom he draws with loving kindness to his son as repentant sinners. As for the rest, though they may hear the gospel, the gospel has no abiding place in their hearts and they are people who, for various reasons, do not endure to the end. For the purpose of today's considerations, what I would like to emphasise is that the primary mover in this parable, the first parable about the sower, the primary mover is who? God. God is the primary mover. For it is the word of God that is proclaimed, and it is God who calls his elect with an effectual call unto salvation, full and free. It's entirely in accordance with God's sovereignty and his grace towards some but not towards everybody. In the second parable, a man sowed wheat into his field, but then his adversary, his enemy, sowed tares, which are highly poisonous weeds. Rather than dig up the tares and risk digging up the wheat at the same time, the man instructed his servants to leave both to grow until the harvest and then the servants were to dig up the, the, the wheat and put the wheat into the man's barn. As for the tares, they would be cast into the fire. Again, the explanation was given to the disciples by Jesus, but he didn't give the explanation to everybody. Jesus said that the man is the son of man. He made that very clear. In other words, the man, the, the, the farmer, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The field is the world. The wheat represents the children of the kingdom of God and the tares are the children of the evil one, the devil. Both the children of the kingdom of heaven and the children of the devil exist side by side in the world at large, but not only in the world at large, but also in church fellowships. People who make no profession of faith in church fellowships, and even people who do make a profession of faith, but perhaps they are people whom Jesus will say at the judgment, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. People who have never actually produced fruit, fruit, brought forth fruit, meet with repentance and salvation from sin. So you've got children of God, children of the devil, growing side by side, existing side by side, living side by side across the world until the day of judgment. And then when judgment comes... The children of the evil one will be cast into hell fire, whereas the children of the kingdom will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. We see that in verse 43. The children of the kingdom will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. In that second parable, the children of the kingdom represented by the wheat are those who have 
the fertile hearts. In the first parable, we, we, we haven't already forgotten the first parable. The, the heart that receives the word of God and goes on to bring forth an abundant harvest, well, clearly, those people are the wheat in the second parable, the children of the kingdom. Again, and this is important for when we eventually get round to looking at today's parable, the primary mover is God in this second parable. For it is the Lord Jesus Christ who sows the children of the everlasting kingdom throughout the world and when he comes again in judgment at the end of the world, he will send his angels to cast the children of the evil one into the lake of fire. The Lord Jesus Christ will do all those things and even now he is doing so much. He is sowing his wheat into this world, here, there and everywhere. Then we look at verses, rather at um, parables three and four, sandwiched between the second parable and the explanation that was given by the Lord Jesus Christ to that second parable are two short parables, uh, two twin parables, two parables that are very much alike. And for the sake of time, we shall briefly review the first of those two parables, and which would be the third of those seven parables in chapter 13. And in that third parable, a man sowed a tiny mustard seed. You, you probably remember this because we've looked at that very recently. A man sowed a tiny mustard seed into his field and it grew to become a great tree with birds lodging and taking shelter in its branches. No explanation was given by Jesus, but it's absolutely reasonable when we think about what has gone before it. It's reasonable to assume that once again, the man, the man who sows the, the, the tiny mustard seed, is the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And his field is once again the world. Therefore, what can be seen in that third parable is the growth of God's kingdom with the wheat of the second parable, now referred to as the birds of the air, taking shelter as children and citizens of the everlasting kingdom. Again, God is the primary mover. It's all about what God is doing. And once again, the spotlight is on God. Remember that, the spotlight is on God. Before we look at today's parable, and we're getting there, we'll jump ahead for that sneaky look at the seventh, seventh and last parable. And we'll turn to the scriptures for this. Look at verses, verse 47 in Matthew chapter 13. 47, I'm going to read that last parable to you. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to the shore and sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth 
and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. I don't think that you would have too much trouble understanding that one if you've really got an understanding of what has preceded it, in particular perhaps the parable of the wheat and the tares. That springs to mind with me. Without going into all the details there, after all it is just a sneaky look at it, at that last parable. The children of the kingdom and the children of the evil one don't really have a major part in this parable either. Other than to get caught up in a dragnet. Presumably that dragnet is the world. And they're caught up in that dragnet until the day of judgment. In this instance, the parable gives details of how God is adding to his kingdom, <coughs> adding to his kingdom day by day as people continue to be born into this world. Some of those fishes represent the children of the kingdom of heaven, but most are the children of the evil one. Once again, the starving role in the parable goes to God who is entirely sovereign over his kingdom, which, though not of this world, spreads throughout the world. I think it's time now to look at today's parable, which is the fifth one, and it can be found in verse 44. Let's read it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he have, and buyeth that field. That's it, that's the parable. <clears throat> Let me tell you the usual take on this parable now. A seeker, someone like us, a seeker finds the hidden treasure of the gospel of Christ buried deep in the scriptures. That seeker then hides the treasure and forsakes all for Jesus and for the kingdom of heaven. So it's all about us and the explanation and the sermons from start to finish are all about what we do. And the spotlight is no longer on God. God is no longer the primary mover. Let's see if they're right with that take on the parable. For me, it is an explanation that ignores the fact that whoever the seeker is, he doesn't simply forsake all to become a disciple of Jesus or even as a... uh, Rather, he joyfully sells all that he has and he buys the field, whatever it is. This is what we read in that short parable. He sells everything that he has and then he buys the field. Okay, that's what the parable's telling us. However, with the widely held explanation, the spotlight is on us. We become the ones forsaking everything. We become the primary movers instead of God. God, which includes the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Son of God. How about we try to understand this parable without ignoring the parables that went before and that last parable. First of all, who is the man? 
Presumably, the man is the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what about the field? Presumably, the field is the world. Okay, so let's have a look at this parable again. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure, hid in a field, the field of this world, and the the which when a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, have found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. As for the treasure, what about the treasure there? Well, take a look at the children of the kingdom after the day of judgment in that second parable, the parable of the wheat and the tares. You only have to look up to verse 43 there. Look at verse 43. Then shall the righteous, that's the children of the kingdom, the, the, the wheat, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. The children of the kingdom are, are said to be shining forth as the sun. That's really bright, isn't it? We read of the Lord Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. He shone forth as uh, brighter than the sun and his clothes were as white as light when he was transformed on the Mount of Transfiguration. But here in verse 43 we read of the, the children of the kingdom shining forth as the sun. Spectacular, I would say. Also, in Malachi, in the Old Testament, in chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it has the following to say about those who fear the Lord and who talk about him often. In other words, children of the kingdom. That's, they're the ones who fear the Lord and talk about him often. No one else does except to curse God and to blaspheme the name of God. This is what it says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. You can imagine that, can't you? God in heaven hearing it when his children talk about him and talk about his son, and he delights to hear us, the redeemed of God, talking about Jesus. So the Lord hearkened and heard it and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name and they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Can you see that the children of God are described as the Lord's jewels in these verses? Make no mistake about it, those whom the Son of Man hath redeemed with his own precious blood are very special to God. And they are, you are, dear Christian, a jewel. You are God's treasure. Now the spotlight is back where it should be in this parable in verse 44. It is on the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we we shall see is the primary mover in this parable. The Son of God who came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost, 
He sold everything when he stepped down from heaven and came down to this dark world of sin in that he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. God coming down into this dark world and becoming like one of us. As for the joy that can be seen in verse 44, let's have a look at it again. It's such a short parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure, hid in a field. That's us, the Christians, the children of God, hidden in this world, the which when a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, hath found, he hideth them for joy. Therefore goeth and selleth all that he have and buyeth that field. The Lord Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You'll find that in Hebrews chapter 12. As Jesus was led to that cross and he endured the cross, he did so for the joy that was set before him. Sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. At the cross, Jesus suffered the shame of drinking the cup of sin and of bearing the shame, uh, the shame of bearing the curse of God's law for all who would ever be brought into the kingdom of God as citizens and children of God through faith in him. Jesus endured all that shame for the joy that was set before him. As I say, the joy of being seated at the right hand of the throne of God, having triumphed over over sin, Satan and death by his own death and by his resurrection from the dead. And so it is that Jesus sold everything for the sake of the church, his church. As it is written in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Having sold everything by stepping down from heavenly glory and becoming obedient unto the death of the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ redeemed the elect of God. Those who are depicted as being wheat in the second kingdom parable or the birds of the air taking shelter in the tree in the third kingdom parable. And what was the price of that redemption, nothing less than his own precious blood. As the Apostle Paul said to the elders in Ephesus, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost have made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he have purchased with his own blood. Did you get that? God purchased his church with his own blood. Likewise, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20, Paul said, 
for ye, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The Son of Man not only purchased his church with his precious blood, but as can be seen in the parable, he bought the field, which is the world. Let's be very clear about something, and that is that after selling everything in order to make atonement for the sins of his church with his own precious blood, the Lord Jesus Christ was highly exalted by God and now Jesus has not just bought the world but all things are under his feet and God has given him to be head over all things for the sake of the church. Jesus is in charge, has power over all things, everything for the good of his church which he have redeemed purchased with his own blood. What this means is that the Lord Jesus Christ is working all things out for the good of his church, which he has purchased, and he is taking care of every moment of every day of necessity. It It ought to be a tremendous comfort to all you children of the kingdom of heaven that despite what appears to be a world spiralling out of control. Your great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, is nevertheless working all things out for the good of his church. So much so that when he comes again in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory to gather the blood-bought elect, not one shall be missing. And that is despite every effort of the devil to destroy his church. The fact is that Jesus has bought the world and he has been given power over all things, so much so that there is nothing that can pluck the citizens of heaven out of his hand. And there is nothing that can separate them from the everlasting love of God. All who have received the word of the kingdom all who have gone on to bring forth the fruit of salvation, that is, all who have truly shown repentance towards God and faith in his dear Son. They are God's treasure, and they shall shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Amen.